welcome everyone to another fabulous episode of The Brew. Today in our studio, we're going to be talking to Sean Garlic from Gallo Pies. Law and order, because he used to be a policeman, successful footballer, playing for the Rabbitohs, a baker as well, and in the odd moment, movie star and male model. Let's talk to Sean. Another great guest, another okay coffee. With me in the studio today is Mr. Sean Garlic from Garlo's Pies, but that really is just the beginning. How are you, Sean? I'm very good, Angela, and thank you for having me. May I say, congratulations. This is one hell of a operation you've got going. This is true. This is true. And we've had a lot of people over the years in the booth. We've done almost 2,000 podcasts ourselves, and wow. we never talk about ourselves, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we'll just take a, a, a five-second uh, pat on the back there for us. The Brew is all about sharing everyone's story and their journey and the good times and the bad times because you can't have one without the other. Of course. And that for small business, there is always a light at the end of the tunnel no matter how deep or dark the day can seem. So we've just come from making a coffee outside, which is completely out of your comfort zone. Correct. And before we get into the guts of who Sean is and how he got to where he is today, let's just give everyone a snapshot up front of where you are today. Garlow's Pies. Yep. Family business. Yes. uh, Located at Kingsgrove. Yep. And making 40,000 pies a day. That's about right, yes. Exporting right around Australia. Australia and, and overseas. And overseas, yes. To limited, our export's only something we've been doing for two years, but that's something we're going to build. And you've got 60-odd staff. That's about right, yes. Right. Now, that's where you are today. Correct. So let's go back to the beginning mm-hmm. when you were a movie star. Oh, that's going back some. And we'll, we won't tell everyone how old you are today. But, um, <laughs> They'll probably movies, be able to work it out. Movie star, policeman, sporting legend, producer, TV star... Football club manager and now making pies. That's right. All you right. got it. Good memory. Well, I recalled. listen. I yes. listen. Let's go back to the beginning. You're a child TV star. You're a prodigy in, That's the, right. in the TV world. I was. I was very lucky. I was walking to school one day and the park that I walked past every day, all of a sudden, this film crew and they were. We thought, wow, what's going on? And uh, there was all the cameras, the trucks, and and uh, I hung around and watched for a while. Anyway. Uh, a woman came up to me and said, would you like to be in the background? We're actually looking for some extras to be in the background. Just get, grab a mate and uh, pretend you're playing cricket. I said, wow, we're going to be a movie star. Did that. And afterwards, uh, they came up to me and said, would you like to do a bit more of this? And there was a casting agent there. And I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. Every, every young kid wants to be famous. And uh, she took my name. A week later, she rang me. She said, we're casting a Cadbury Crunchy commercial. Would you, like, would you like to go for it? I said, yeah, I'd love to. That'd be great. Didn't know what I was doing, whatever, read the script. They said, you got the role. They sent me to Melbourne, first plane I'd ever been on. As a kid, I was about 12, 11, and first uh, plane my mother had ever been on. We flew to Melbourne and we shot this commercial and was like, wow, and they pay for your cab rides and, you know, had to stay overnight. It was the best thing ever. I said, yeah, well, I'm in for this. Anyway, so from the time I was you know, about 11 to the age of about 20, I did commercials, bits in TV series. Uh, but the big break for me was when I landed a role in at the time the biggest budget Australian movie ever made. It was called Fortress, starring Rachel Ward. And um, it was it was financed by Home Box Office, HBO, the big pay TV company in America. And it was about a one teacher school that had been kidnapped and held for ransom. And I was the eldest kid in this one teacher school. Kids ranged from six up to up to me. And I, I know everyone out there's dying ask wanting me to know to ask, was she with Brian Brown at the she time? She was indeed. Did you get to meet Brian Brown? Brian Brown was on set every day. Okay, because yeah, that's because that's that would yeah. be important for me. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, Brian Brown, he, he actually took part in the movie 
the movie was about these masked kidnappers that, um, that, that took this school and kept them for, you know, hostage. And one day uh, we had to, uh, we did, it was raining and Brian Brown had to jump in and put the mask on and, and be, be one of the kidnappers because he hadn't turned up. And uh, so there you go, because he had blue eyes. And so all he's a, yeah, it was, he, he was a good subby. Yeah, he was a good subby. got him off the bench. He knew what he was doing, funnily enough. It's the rugged good looks, clearly why you're a child star and did a lot of the TV commercials in the movie, that's why. But you were almost, almost talked into being a jockey. Oh, correct. That's right. Because your old man didn't think you were going to be, you were, you were too small for footy. Well, well, well football was my dream and I, and I loved it. And you it. were playing footy I was between playing all footy. of this. That's right. I, I, was, I was playing footy as a, as a young kid and loved it and, and my goal was to be a professional footballer. And um, when I was about 12, I was the smallest kid in the team and my father saw me, I was a goer. But he thought, he's, I can't let this kid so who continue. So who did you play for as a youngster? I played for La Perouse. Right. I grew up out at La Perouse in Sydney's um, southern um, yep. a, Bay area. I'm a south girl, so oh, I know where that go. is. And so he took me along. He had a good mate named Theo Green who was a, a, a horse trainer. So we went along to Ramwick Races with another mate of his who was, who was a, a horse dentist. And they knew the industry inside out. So he took me along and he says, Theo, I've got a young bloke here. I think he's going to be a jockey. Can you do something for him? And Theo, who was an old fellow even back then, said, uh, how old is he? And uh, he said, he's 12. And he said, oh, forget about it, way too big, way too big, he'll never be a jockey. And that was the greatest news I'd ever heard. I didn't want to be a jockey, I didn't even like horses. But we need to put the, the football time into perspective because this is an era still where football players worked. Absolutely, they did. I mean, football was something you did on the weekends yep. and trained of an afternoon and everyone had a full-time job. Because it was for the love of the game. It was a pure love of wanting well, to play. Well, it was love, but you still got paid yeah. quite well for the hours that you put in. And so I went to Maxfield High School out there. Um, I was quite good at school, but didn't really didn't know what I wanted to do other than be a footballer. Now, back in those days, say in the 80s, when any, any footballer scored a try, bring up what their profession was. Every second footballer, it seemed to me, was a policeman. And I thought, well, obviously, you've got to sort of be a policeman if you want to be a footballer and vice versa. That was the decision I made. Went down to the police academy in 88 and joined the cops. And, and the first thing they did was introduce you to the roster sergeant at the station. And they said, OK, when, when do you need to have off? When are you training? When are you playing? And then they sorted it out. And, and I must say, I was out at Maroubra. They looked after me the whole time I played football. And uh, until the time when Super League came in, and I was at the Roosters at the time, playing first grade, your wage doubled overnight to play football, but in return they wanted you to quit your job and, and train full time. So everybody did that, except I thought, and my father said at the time, son, you can't just throw it away, you're going to need to do something when you retire. There's still lots of pretty boys at the Roosters y yeah, yeah, in was, the early days. Yeah, there's pretty boys at the Roosters, but there's pretty boys at every club. Of yeah, course, you know. yeah, they are a little bit, some of them are a little bit precious. They usually play out wider than in the forwards. Oh, but, okay. Uh, you know, but, uh, that's a bit always more been, delicate. That's always been the case. They're faster, you know, and uh, and in return their looks are better. But um, So do you do you think that's one of the, um, the negatives that's associated with the young football players these days? They don't have an external influence. Oh, I think it's a great like that structure. It's a great danger in the game, and I really feel for players. And, and, and the NRL are onto it. Yeah. They realise kids are taken straight out of school now. They're told where to go, what to wear, what to say, what to do, and what to eat. High disposable income. Um, yes, but the thing that, that is dangerous is they don't build up a network at all outside right. of the game, like like we used to. Yeah. You know, and so you're not working with the average people, and you're not you're not grounded. You know, you're getting around in a bubble. You're training together. You're traveling together. You're playing together, eating, sleeping together, and that is your world, whether you like it or not. Now they they do a lot now the NRL in terms of programs and education, but it's just not the same as playing football on a Sunday 
and then having to rock up to work on the Monday yeah. morning, you know, and, and you got to you got to cop if you had a shit game. They told you at work, you know, and, and <laughs> you if you got, got beat, you, got the you, you had to. You got the feedback, <laughs> and and that was it. Whereas that might not happen all the time, uh, otherwise. And so it was a, it was a really good upbringing. I loved it. And I loved my time with the cops, um, and and football was was a dream. And I was very lucky. I got ten years playing first grade, which is which is a dream. So. You've mentioned two different areas here. We're talking about a football club and a football team and then the, the police, which is another team and another family. It is, absolutely. So you were lucky to be in two different families and, and both accommodating each other to some degree and I'll, to some extent. I'll, both are very similar in that you have to have each other's back. You know, It's something that, you, uh, that the coach and, and the players really profess uh, on each other. Uh, but but in the cops, it, it's real. It's for real. Yeah. It, it's it's your life's at stake if your partner hasn't got your back, you know. And so there's that trust and there's that that bond that is um, way beyond even what happens on the football field, you know. And, and the cops out there that, you know, the job that they do and in, in this day and age in particular, it's you know, it's it's heavy. Yeah. It's it's intense. It's more intense now. The scrutiny's ridiculous. Mm. You know, everyone's jumping up and down on accountability and transparency, but they forget that. The police force while there is a lot of politics involved that day-to-day work it's a very fine line of you know do we really want to know oh absolutely but the, what the, they need to do to get the job done the thing that i loved about it was i joined as a 19 year old didn't know anything about anything and and they send you out there and you're and you're on a you're on a police truck you know your first response and you're going to you're going to domestics for example and the domestics you know could involve the ceo and his wife very well to do you know i was out of the eastern suburbs and, and you've got to go in there and, and, and basically counsel them, separate them, find out what's going on, and then take action. You're a 19-year-old kid. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're talking to a 50-year-old man. You've got no, no life you, experience. It, it, makes you, it makes you grow up. You learn very quickly, you know, about authority and taking charge and, 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 um, and taking the lead. And, and it, it's a great upbringing. And it really teaches you the way the world works. And you see a side of the world and the community that nobody sees. You see that the behind the scenes yeah. stuff and the way it operates and I think it's a terrific start in life I've got three boys and I wouldn't have been disappointed at all it doesn't look like any of them are going to be police but it wouldn't have disappointed me at all if I did a couple of years in the, years in the cops how, how old are the boys? they're, they're uh, 23, 21 and 16 and is anyone playing football? Uh, the, the two eldest ones are playing football. They're quite right. serious footballers. Yeah. The third one is a he, he was he was small like me. Yeah. Luckily, he, he he became a very good golfer early on. You know, he, he was and so he's smart. His his dream is to go and play college golf in America. Right. You know, so he he doesn't need to be big. So you you've got two kind of walking in dad's footsteps. Yeah, absolutely. Two two that are very keen to still make football their their uh, career. And is that a proud moment for you, or oh. are you? worried about that this new influence look i think look if it works it works you know and and in this day and age um the the planets really have to align for you to play first grade you know you've got to have talent you've got to have the dedication you've got to be fit and strong you've got to have all that but still you have to be in the right place at the right time you know and and you've got to be able to take that opportunity and you need to have a bit of luck and and all that needs to come together for you to make a career out of it and then you can make it and it's no guarantee how long you're going to be there for. It takes one injury that can end it all. Um, you know, you can be stuck behind. You know, you're a hooker and there's the best hooker in the country in front of you and you just don't get your go. You know, and that's 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 sport. You know, um, you can be doing everything right, you still don't win. Because we spoke off air a little bit about that when we were discussing um, business and, in, and inspiring people and motivating them. And it was, it was um, quite eye-opening for me to hear you say you can be the most talented 
athlete, you can be in a great club, you can be all these things, you can turn up. Just talk a little bit about that because I, I know what you said, but I, you know, you can have the best coach. That's right. But it was the thing that I that I loved about business when I left sport, and I and I, and I started a business. It's the thing that that became obvious uh, the quickest to me, and that is in rugby league and in sport in general. You're right. You can do all the preparation. You can be the fittest, the strongest, the fastest, have the best game plan, have the best teammates, but still don't win. There can be a bounce of the ball that goes against you. There can be a referee decision. You know, all you can do is all the things right and then hope to win. Whereas in business, if you do everything right and you mitigate your risks and you work hard and you get the right people on the bus, you get the wrong people off the bus and, you, and, and, and you're, you're cautious but you still have a go, and you work hard, you generally win. You know? and, and there's less... There's less curveballs that can that can sideline you. There's some there's some comfort for knowing that you can work really hard and get rewarded, and it's not often the unfair that bites into the the business owner. You can usually take care of the unfair situations to some degree. Oh, I agree. But but business is not without its challenges. Absolutely, and you can still get curveballs, and you can still have that referee give you a bad call. <laughs> let's, let's face it, you know, when you're dealing with the authorities and and the government, you know, they make calls that. Look at these poor people in George Street at the moment. You know, what's happened to them? How do you envisage that when you take on a lease three years ago? You know, and you've got, or you buy a business and, and, and it's trading its, its tits off and all of a sudden they rip up George Street and do what they've done and you've got to try and get through it. I feel dreadfully sorry for the, for the people uh, that are affected by that sort of thing. Uh, and it happened to us when we had stores. It happened in King's Cross. We had a store and they decided to renovate the footpath and repave and all that, which was great and had to happen. But during that period, you just your sales go to shit, and nobody cares. Nobody cares, and they say, "Oh yes," but and all the politicians say, "But it's for the greater good." And there's a bit of short-term pain for long-term gain. But when you can't pay your wages and you can't pay your invoices, what happens? You go broke. So uh, Sean may not realise, but he's just touched on 15 different hot pain points oh, right, <laughs> with <okay>. us, okay? <laughs> because we are on George Street and going Absolutely. through that. And um, we're, we're fighting for some almost 300 small business owners across the light rail route. So we're getting them all on board. And it's just a little bit of background there. But you know, for those of you who, who aren't going to listen to this in Sydney, and, and there are many of you right across Australia and the world that do listen to the, the Brew podcasts, it's some major state-significant infrastructure work that's happening uh, in New South Wales and Sydney at the moment. And it's just disturbing and displacing a lot of our small businesses. Time for a short brew break otherwise known as a commercial. Give our guests a chance to have a sip of their coffee, if they dare, and me a quick glass of water. Of course, if you feel like sponsoring an amazing show like The Brew, you can reach us on Facebook or via our website, eaglewavesradio.com.au. We're a great podcasting platform and we're waiting for you. You're in a team environment with footy, you know, you're with mates. Right? You get up on a Sunday and you get out there to play a game and win. And sometimes you don't. And you've got a face, as you said, you know, you're turning up to the cops on Monday and you know, if you'd stuffed up the game, they all told you. That's right. There's nothing like feedback to get, right. you, get you moving. But then Super League came in. Correct. And that changed everything for you guys. Well, it did. It changed the face of the game, not only for the players and, and the coaches and the, and the people involved in the game. It changed the, it changed the game for the supporters as well. You know, there was a split in the game that everyone would remember. Yeah. Um, teams jumped over to Super League. It was a dark day oh, was, they were for dark the supporter. Days. Lifelong yeah. friendships were broken and have never recovered. It, you had to make a decision, you know, and um, 
and I was at the Roosters. We were an ARL-aligned club. We stayed with the, with the ARL. Super League went off, and for, for two years, they ran their own comp. But the positive was your pay went up, pretty much doubled overnight. You now you got paid a, a cheque just to stay loyal, which seemed like you're getting something for nothing. But they wanted everyone to quit their job. They said, OK, we're paying you double now. This is going to be a professional game. It's where it should have moved to. Um, and so we want you to train. You know, it's turn up at 7 and we'll go through till 3, um, five days a week. Um, obviously, you need to have a day off. And, and, and so I, I, at the time, I, I built up about seven years in the police. And I thought, geez, that's a lot to throw away. And my father, again, he said, son, you're not going to just throw that. You're going to retire. Then what are you going to do? So they were just bringing in part-time police work at the time, for mostly for women that were having maternity leave to come back one, two, three days a week. So you, you took advantage of equal opportunity. Absolutely, I did. It's exactly Probably what I one did. of the early guys that did that. That's right. And so I went to my boss and said, look, can I... He goes, well, this is really for women taking... I said, but surely it's got to go both ways. And sure enough, yeah, I worked one day a week for the last four years of my career. So the, the uh, dis- non-discriminating... Correct. Yeah, That's right. Policy worked worked good out worked good for the footballer that's right and, and it worked well and, and, and it kept me in touch with, with what was happening um, it gave me I, I really loved it I loved going to, to work for this one one day now the thing was though I couldn't be involved in frontline stuff so I was doing warrants and summonses I was doing youth liaison I was doing um, licensing which were all great you know, you know and I was still part of the team you know and I had a team uh, you know uh, on the field but I also had a team uh, during the week. And, and so you uh, could still keep your feet in both worlds. Correct. That's you, exa- you were still a bit grounded, even though clearly your football career was a lot more on the professional slant now, simply because of the way they structured everything. That's right. You know, and and um, it, really, uh, it really allowed me to keep my options open. Was it better for the game in the end? Oh, most definitely. Uh, undoubtedly. And it's a better product these days. The players are uh, infinitely fitter, faster, bigger, stronger. You know, they are genuine athletes and... Uh, um, it, it's, it's where the game needed to get to. It was a shame they just had to go through that process to, to arrive at where we are now. So I'm not, um, not an athlete and I'm a big fan of the game though and I often wonder um, when I've been fortunate enough to, to watch live football and be very close to hear the, the body contact, the full body contact of these guys on the field is, is to almost watch two cars collide oh, it's, it's because the, the force and the momentum is, is just phenomenal. How they get up again and keep walking. And one of the main things that, that, that has changed in the game over the years, apart from the speed of the game, because everyone's faster, is the size of, of yeah. the players. Now, Some of those boys, I mean... They are, they are huge, you know, and, and you, you can't get uh, um, perspective watching on TV because no. they're all big. No. They are all big, yeah. you know, and, and um, it's not until you get a guy that's, you know, that's five foot... 10 even and he looks like a midget he looks like a jockey out there and uh compared to them but there's you know there's some boys on that field that are 130 kilos that's correct absolutely that's a massive weight coming at you that's right the the subtle changes in the rules over the years that allowed more interchange has allowed players to get bigger in my day when i first started um when there was a replacement made you couldn't go back if you came off you couldn't go back on again so there there was a, a requirement for stamina and fitness that didn't allow you to get too big or you yeah. just couldn't last the 80 minutes. Because the aerobic, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you, you were pretty fit. The, the, the biggest guys in my era were the Mark Carrolls, the Paul Sirenins and all that. They were sort of one, the Paul Harrigans, were sort of 114, 115 sort of max, you know, 112s. Now you're getting the 125s. Yeah. You know, and that's the, the junior brothers. boys. That's right. Yeah, they're, they're big boys. Sam Cassiano, 130, 135. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. That's three T-bone steaks in one sitting. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So you've you've had an illustrious football career, as you said. You were you were blessed to get ten years in first grade, 
and then you you finish your career. Um, you don't look too battered and bruised, so I'm assuming you walked away quite okay. Yeah, not too bad. I got a bad knee, which which is you know it's it's it'll be a replacement when when they can make replacements long enough to to see you out to the end of your. So yeah, I got to hold on to that. But yeah, it wasn't too bad. I was quite lucky, and you know, and I've. I've uh, Compared to some of my mates that have got issues, you know, and, and that's just that's the luck of the draw. Yeah, and you know, we we know that at today we've got a lot of um, concussion stories mm. coming through, which is which is unfortunate. Yep, and that's that's the true loss there. You know, you can live with a bum knee, but correct when there's other injuries. So you, you found yourself at a loose end. You've, you've got a younger brother. There's seven correct. years seven years difference that's between right. you boys. Correct, and he's a pastry chef. That's right. Not a footballer. No, he was a footballer, but right. um, decided dabbled? not to go on with it. He yeah. dabbled. Yep. Okay. Is he bigger than you? He's bigger than me. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Hate that with younger brothers, yes. don't you? That's right. It's, it's not supposed to be like that. That's right. Exactly. Well, fast forward a little bit. You're mm. in a, you're in family business now. Yes. With your brother. That's right. And you you found yourself at a loose end, and you had a, a, a few things going there. Some opportunities, you know, maybe producing a a show for um, Fox and then you know you've been doing a lot of the football work you've dabbled there you've kind of gone into management with Souths but a shop and an opportunity came up in Maroubra yes your brother's a pastry chef this is the beginning of Galo Pies absolutely Nathan had, had grown tired he, he'd worked in the local pie shop for since he was 14 your young brother yeah, yeah. and he, he was making every pie sausage roll custard tart lamington you know pasty You've won me at Pies and Lamingtons. Oh, okay. Everything in between doesn't... No, don't <laughs> okay. worry about it. But the Pies and Lamingtons... But he grew important. tired of working for wages and gave it away yes. and was driving a truck and was quite miserable. And, we, and, and my father was, was retiring from the waterfront. He was a wharfie from the time he was 19. And so he was retiring and uh, he was sort of looking for what he's going to do. I was retiring from football and I'd realised... The cops weren't for me anymore. Uh, when you get older, you don't have that same courage. You've got young kids that you have when you're a young, young bloke. Yeah. And so I thought, I've got to, I've got to, get, I've got to find something. Uh, and this pie shop um, opportunity came up. And I said, Nathan, would you be, consider rolling the sleeves back up and getting into the behind the, behind the pastry roll and, and, and if, we, if we got our own shop? And he said, well, look, I know how to make the product, but I never really paid much attention to what my boss was doing in terms of running the business. And I thought, well, how hard could it be, really? Yes, and, and every small business owner out there is cringing when you say that. That's how hard can it be? Exactly. But that's how visions and dreams well, start. Well, you don't know what you don't know. No, thankfully. Otherwise, that's we'd right. never do it. Oh, that's right. And so we, we, we opened this pie shop. And it was going to be my intention. I was going to stay involved in football. I was working as the football manager at the Rabbitohs, who had just got back into the comp after a very famous exclusion. That's right. Yeah. And, and I was going to be there for life. But I wanted to help my brother out, and I wanted an interest on the side. My father was looking for an interest as well and said, I can deliver the pies and I can do some maintenance and this and So we've, we've, we've got a, a, a bunch of boys. That's right. Laying about going, yeah, this will be really cool. This will be really cool. Yeah. Paint, we want to paint the picture here. So you take over this 60 square metre store in Maroubra, which correct. is quite small. Yes, that's right. Just a shop front. Was never meant to be a big production kitchen. No, it wasn't, no. Was never going to produce 40,000 pies where we are today. <laughs> that's right. And in fact, uh, when we opened... Uh, the very, and I still look back as this was the this was the, the lucky break I got even before we'd we'd open for one day. Because here you've got the tie-in, you've got right. the football tie-in, Correct. the business tie-in, and the pie tie-in, and they all came together. Well, what, what I found, Angela, was, and I didn't know this at the time, but what I soon learned was that pie people and football people are the same people. They are. <laughs> and I, and I wasn't selling IT or uh, computers or air conditioners or whatever. I was selling pies and everybody that I knew, all the network I'd built up over all these years 
could relate to pies. Yeah. You know? and, and, and they love pies. They love see. pies. And, and you know what? The other thing I found about when I opened this business, and knew nothing, and didn't know what I didn't know, was that if you ask people that do know, they want to help. You know, they want to. They want to show you that. Hey. So it's another family. The business community is another family. It, 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 it truly is, and they understand. And so we opened this shop, and I was doing a bit of work for the Footy Show at the time, doing a bit of guest panelling and interviewing, going out on street talk and all that sort of thing. And I went to the boss, Glenn Pallister, who's still the boss today, and said, "Glenn, I'm opening this pie shop. What about if I got some big guys together and we had this pie eating contest? Would you cover it?" He went, "Shit, yeah, that'd be great TV." So we got Artie Beatson. Mark Carroll and Mark Geyer, Craig Salvatore and Big Man. We pulled them all together and we... And we this is before he was doing the Lowe's commercials, right? Correct. Yeah. That's right. It was, it was, uh, and, and, and Artie was a legendary pie eater. Yeah. Know? They called him the pie eater. He was the original well, pie eater. come on. Was there a foot, is there a footy player That's that not doesn't... A pie? Yeah. Especially oh, in, in your, your generation. Of course Maybe, not, maybe no. they're not allowed to today. Well, well they'd be, it'd be like not getting a beer drinker. Yeah, well... <laughs> No, I mean, different times now, but so, back then. So without realising, you were doing kind of like guerrilla marketing. Correct. Absolutely. Because you, you, you didn't know. Well, we had no money. Yeah. You know, we, and so we had to try and do our best. And so they come and they televised this opening. And it was just, they had to close Anzac Parade. And lucky I knew the police. The police came and they yeah, willingly lucky, blocked it off. Lucky you could, yeah, use that They were just around connection. the corner. And, um, and, and I took long service leave from the cops because I thought, I don't know where this is going to work out. So I don't want to quit yet because I'm not sure. And um, so we had this party competition and it just went gangbusters. That was the first day we opened. Nathan said, how many pies do you reckon we should make? I said, I don't know. You were in a pie shop. How many did you make? He goes, we'll make 100. I don't want to, you know, made 100 and we sold out in the first hour. So the next day we made 200 and we got through to lunchtime. And then we made 400 and that was about as many as we could make by hand. The ice cream scoop by yeah. hand. and Been there, done that. Anyway, it was, the shop wasn't big enough. We're getting daily deliveries of flour, of margarine, almost of drinks. And this shop, people were coming from everywhere because they saw it on the footy show. They were coming from Penrith and Wollongong and Newcastle and driving in from... And, and were they Garlow's pies from the beginning? They were Garlow's pies right from the beginning. Right from That's the right. Beginning. In fact, the pie that we make today is exactly the same as the pie, pie we made right at the start. And so people came and, and we said, this shop's too small. We're going to find another shop. And so we searched and searched and searched. And, and our father, Terry, was good. You put him on a mission and he went out there and... He had all these shops and, and, and we found this one at Mascot. There was a luggage shop, but it was 150 square metres. We said, Mascot's not far from Maroubra. It's quite busy. And because we also started getting these wholesale inquiries from the local schools, local cafes and pubs. Hey, could you? And we said, yeah, that's okay. Sure. But we really don't have anywhere to dispatch. So you, you were facing, um, like any other startup, scaling. Correct. How could you scale? That's How right. could you expand? That's right. You, you've never probably never even heard of those terms at that time in no. business. No. And, um, and that was what year? What year did that start or start the first shop? 2001? 2001, that's okay. right, yes. So GST in... had just come in. Yeah. So we didn't know pre-GST. Another, another fabulous. Everybody that we spoke to goes, oh, this bloody GST, it's killing us, you know? And we said, oh, well, we don't know any different, you know? Maybe, maybe that was my mistake, starting before <laughs> GST. Right, okay. But so you've, you've, you've been operating for, you know, 15, 16, 17 years now. Yes. And, and a lot's happened in between. Correct. And you're not aware of things like scaling up and, and, and production and, and how you can do all these things easily. Yes. And just for the, I mean, I've had the benefit of already chatting with you but because you talked about how, you know, you've got 60 odd staff now and how different it is for the staff that were with you when you were small. And that was great. But that didn't translate to growth. No, that's a very, and, and it's a lesson I'm learning now, which saddens me a little because 
we had some great staff that, that, that gave some fantastic loyal service for many, many years, you know, 10, 12 years, nine years, eight years. Which is a big chunk of Garlow's uh, history. Absolutely it is. And, and it was a case where Nathan made the product, he was in charge of the product, and as we got bigger, he got in charge of the, the people that were producing and all that, and I was in charge of the office and the accounts and, you know, and sales and, and, and all the admin. And, and as that got bigger and bigger, obviously you need to uh, introduce structure. Yep. And so the hardest thing is when people hang on, but Sean, I, I, I'm used to dealing with you. I can't now, who's this blowing you bought in? I've got to report to that person. They were the hardest things. Uh, it was the same with even customers that I used to deal with direct. And all of a sudden I don't have the time to deal with these customers. They want to place the order through me. You know, it's about massaging them into um, speaking to our customer service people. And you know? feeling comfortable like that. That's right, without offending people, without putting them off. And, and, and it's been a real, the, the last 12 months in particular, we've moved from our old place, which was about 1,100 square metres, to our new place, about 4,500 square metres. Um, and that transition, and, and we've really scaled up in the last two years, and, and, and just how uncomfortable some of the people were with the change. And I want to I want to talk specifically about, we won't label it a failure, but we'll label it a challenge when you expanded to America. Yeah. And... It wasn't as simple as just saying, let's go to the States. That's right, exactly. I mean, it was everyone's dream, go to America. And we got approached by two guys from, from Disney, ex-Disney um, execs. He said uh, one was a one was a, a guy that had been, it was an Aussie, been over there for 20 years. And the other was his right-hand man. And they'd retired from Disney and they'd always want to do pies. So we opened this pie shop, went over there. Nathan went over with his family. Spent two great years there and, and everything was fantastic. Russell Crowe gave us a tweet when we were opening to his two million followers and people flooded this store and it was going gangbusters. And I spent about three months over there. Our families came over and it was fantastic. So was it hard though losing your brother to being in, in to the American arm? You're over here on your own. Well, to be perfectly honest, that's another story. But Nathan, as the business got bigger, got increasingly uncomfortable with the structure. Right. When he was hands-on and he was the man and, and uh, he was in control of everything, um, it was easy for him. That's what come naturally. He's a doer. Nathan, and he wouldn't wouldn't mind me saying this, is a, is a, um, a hands-on guy. Yep. And, and the whole structure and the blank page and managing of people, he's always said, Sean, I'm not a manager. I'm a worker. I'm not a manager. And so this was an opportunity for him to go back to how it all began. Because to be honest, that's all he wanted was his one pie shop to run that. And I sort of dragged him and said, no, no, we can open here. We can open there. We can do this. We can supply them. And, and I've dragged him along the way. And so this was a chance when he goes, yeah, mate, I'll go there. America, I'll, I'll take one of my mates and he can come over as well. And, and um, he was going to do one year. They did two years and they got homesick and they came back. We said, that'll be okay. We'll manage it from here. Because the minimum wage is only nine fifty in California. Yeah. It's got to work. A bit misleading, isn't it? Yeah, but what we found is it's, it's tough when you're not there. It's a cash business and you've got staff that um, are used to being monitored and, and, and managed very closely are now being done remotely. Um, our Disney execs, uh, we all learnt running big business and running small business is, is nothing the same. Cinderella and Mickey Mouse is not Carlos Pipes. It's really tough, you know, and, and we just, and we had big things happening in Australia. It was it was a big distraction. There's a whole lot of time getting invested. Yeah. I'd wake up every morning because they're like seven hours ahead and there'd be 10 emails I had to answer before I even started. And we got an opportunity to get out. And Nathan, wanted to, and Nathan had already been home. We said, you know what? We can get out scot-free here. We had three years to run on a five-year lease, and they said, we've got someone who's ready to come in. If you just want to walk away, we said, let's go. And we might come back another time. But this time, we'll, we'll look at doing the supermarkets, not not running shops. Too hard. Just supplying product. Correct. Supply it, and then you worry about selling it. Yeah. 
And that's what we, that's what we do now. That's what we're geared up to do. And you got to stick to what you're, you're, you're best at. It's good. It's good business advice because you can have a great product, make it well, sell it well, and then suddenly face the challenges of expansion, and it's not the same. That's right. And somewhere in there, it's what it loses for the owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that shows, I think, on everything else because you you still want to be happy in your life, and if Nathan isn't happy, then that affects the family business. Oh, it does. I, 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 I'm mistakenly, you know, my father was sad. Yeah. He had one of his sons over there, you know, and, and was great for the for the first year. You know, it was a great it's, novelty. It's still fun. It's yeah, fun. that's right. But they, he's got two boys, ten and nine, you know, and they were going to school over there, and that was all a great novelty at first. And then when the realization set in that, hang on. Do we really want to live here? No. Is this a forever thing? Do we, we don't like Americans as much as we like Australians. You yeah. know? They're different. you know. And um, it's a great place to visit and even spend some time. But um, you, you cherish. And the funny thing was, the, the amount of people he met over there, the amount of people he met that come into the store and were fascinated with the pies and all that sort of thing, the ones he's, he's kept in contact with are the Aussies that yeah. were over there. It's just, I don't know what it, it is. Because it wasn't home. That's right. And so they you connect with people over there and, and the Aussies are, are different people to Americans. You know, uh, we've got a different sense of humour. One thing that we enjoy is Americans, they build you up. They build you up. Uh, they build themselves up, so they build you up. Australians, they cut you down. You know, they do. But it's part of uh, it's the way we live. You know, you can't let your mate get too ahead of himself get two on himself he needs to he brought back a few pets you just, you just body slam him into the <laughs> ground on the field don't you exactly <laughs> if you exactly. want to target him yeah. <laughs> you you wrap up america you're back here is nathan happy here now oh look he, he he's still uncomfortable yeah. let's face it he's still uncomfortable because there's this corporate structure in bloody place hell now. the business is doing too good it's not not yeah, fun now he goes, this is but but he he acts now more more as a um you know as an advisor yep. you know in terms of because we have machines and we have production managers and, and, and um, operation managers and they, they, they know how to run businesses, yep. you know, and which we needed to get. We needed to bring some talent into the place. Yeah. Well, if you're going to make 40,000 pies a day, it's not 100 pies a day. That's right. And, and, and you can't afford to sell out in an hour. And just as Nathan knew how to make the product back then, yep. he said, I knew nothing about big scale production. No. He said, we, we, we filled the pie with an ice cream scoop, not, not a depositor. You know, we didn't have a silo with the flour in it. You know, we, we cut open the bag and we yeah. put it in with a scoop, mm. a laminating machine. He said, we just rolled it by hand. And are you going to tell me, Sean, that the pies taste as good today? They're exactly the same. Right. Exactly the same. Which that, is that, incredibly difficult that's, to get. That's been the hard thing. Whenever we introduced a machine or a different process, the hardest thing was making sure it was exactly the same. Yeah. And so that, that that's that's the that's the joy in it as well. Yeah. You know, because you, you, can, you can just leap forward ahead and, and introduce things and, and, and we made some mistakes along the way we bought machinery uh, we bought this machinery that had, that we thought was going to be great in, in theory where, where you made the meat and then it pumped it from the, the kettle over a big pipe and deposited straight into our in our hopper that went into our pie machine we said oh that's going to be fantastic we'll lose four people on that you know we'll, we'll get the return on that in a year and um, it was all great except the filling come out like gravy it was just sand you know it destroyed the, the meat inside you know and we went we can't use this. It was great in theory. It just didn't work. The collisions through the pipework and all that sort of thing just ruined the, the filling. And they were very similar to what the big guys do. Yeah. And, and that's our point of difference. And yeah. so we had, to, we had to trash that, put it down to a bad decision and move on. Because I think many of us would, would say, you know, tearing open a pie these days, and if you've been doing that for 20 or 30 years, there's a huge difference in the mm. way some of those pies are on the inside. Sure. If sure. you can find the meat. Correct. That's you right. Know, if you can find the meat. That, that's exactly right. So on that note, thank you very much, Sean. Um, we appreciate you coming in today. 
That's another episode of The Brew. That's uh, Sean's way. Sean's coffee and maybe Sean's tea, but we'll leave that for another day as well. Thanks very much, everyone. We'll catch you soon. Ah, Sean, your coffee may not have been that great, but your pies are awesome. And The Brew has a new friend. You can follow us, The Brew, on iTunes, review our shows and recommend them to your friends. Don't forget to check out The Brew videos on Facebook and watch our guests completely out of their comfort zone and comment on Twitter. Catch you soon.